The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Welcome to the Sermon Archives of Providence Baptist Church. We are thankful for the ministry entrusted to Rev. Neil Brillhart, our pastor for over 30 years. We are pleased to share the following message. Stay tuned for Pastor Brillhart. Turn, if you will, please, to John chapter 2. And I want us to consider the lily of the valley, the Lord Jesus, as we consider the lilies today. Last Sunday night, I spoke concerning the miracles of the Bible as being a part of the revelation of God that confirms the Bible as the revelation of God. I want to continue that thought today talking about the miracles of the Lord Jesus as a part of the revelation of God. Here in John chapter 2, we have the story about the wedding feast at Cana and the miraculous conversion of water into wine that Jesus performed there at that uh, wedding. And verse 11 makes the statement, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. In other words, here the Lord Jesus began his public ministry with this first of his many miracles. Now, I emphasize that this is first because the apocryphal books that uh, you find in some Bibles uh, tell us that Jesus performed miracles as a little boy, uh, taking uh, molding pigeons out of clay and then making them come to life, even getting mad at some of his little buddies and and killing them and so forth, doing miracles for uh, the entertainment of people. But here the scriptures tells us that this was the beginning of Jesus' miracles. This was the first one that he ever performed. And so, therefore, we reject these apocryphal books, as they are called, that are found in the Douay version and other versions of the Bible. But Jesus did, in his life, perform many miracles. Turning to John chapter 10. And verses 24 through 25, uh, the scriptures tells us here, uh, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Going on to verse 30. Uh, Jesus speaks again and says, My I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? And continuing down in verse 37, he says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And many other places that we can read about the miracles which the Lord Jesus did. Now, the Bible is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. And these miracles that are recorded in the Bible are a part of showing to us beyond all uh, doubt that the Lord Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, God the Son and the Son of God. For no one else could have done these kind of miracles. 
Now, by way of introduction, as we think of the miracles that the Lord Jesus performed throughout the Bible and the miracles that God has done, as we saw last Sunday night, a miracle is something that cannot be explained naturally. A miracle is God intervening in natural events. And all of God's miracles have a purpose. They are not irrational or haphazard. They have a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal God to mankind. To reveal that God is a kind, loving, merciful God. So that men will turn to him for redemption. To reveal that God is a just God as he judges men, so that when men come to the final judgment, they will be caused to fall before him and say, Thou art just, you're right, and will confess uh, the Lord Jesus to the glory of God. The miracles of God were designed specifically to reveal the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we come to the miracles that Jesus performed, let's call to our attention the fact that there are only about three attitudes that you can have toward miracles. <clears throat> the first is, you can say they never ever happened, that there never was a miracle, that everything that is recorded in the Bible that is of a miraculous nature can be uh, explained from a human and natural standpoint. The atheists today, uh, they look at the miracles of the Bible and they either scoff at them or say, or say, well, this happened because of this or that. Like we have seen uh, the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea and, and other, the miracle of the uh, manna from heaven. They, they say the miracle of the Red Sea was just that there was a natural wind blew and uh, blew the Bitter Lake waters back and, and the tide flowed out and the people waded through ankle-deep water in the Red Sea. Well, we saw last Sunday night that was ridiculous. Uh, to think that the armies of Pharaoh could, die, uh, could uh, drown in two inches of water. Uh, they uh, then said that the manna that uh, the children of Israel fed on for approximately 40 years was just the natural secretion from uh, a uh, bush that grew there in the wilderness. And all of these efforts, and uh, like you remember we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and that uh, the miracle of that, uh, the skeptics, the atheistic skeptics, I might say, uh, say that the miracle of that was merely that people began to be unselfish and, and everybody shared their lunch. Well, that's kind of ridiculous when you stop to think about the fact there were 12 basketfuls left over. Man, they were loaded with lunch, weren't they? But anyway, uh, the atheist says there was no miracles. Then the other attitude we can have is to say that... Uh, the miracles that occurred in Bible times do not always occur all the time. Now, as we look at the Bible, we find that throughout the Old Testament, there are only really two specific times of great and normative and continual miracles. The time of Moses when he was uh, getting the children of Israel freed from Egyptian bondage and leading them through the wilderness. And then the time of Elisha and Elijah as they were uh, able to perform such mighty miracles as they were uh, able to do. Uh, great stretches of time, as is recorded in the historical uh, aspect of the Old Testament, go without any mention whatsoever of a miracle. Now, this is just a matter of fact. There are great stretches, centuries of time, when a miracle is never recorded in the Old Testament scriptures indicating that God uh, causes miracles 
only at specific times. We come to the New Testament. We see the same thing. We see Jesus performing miracles. We see in the early years of the New Testament church, the apostles able to perform miracles. And then as we study on the New Testament in a historical way, we see a decline of miracles. Toward the end of the New Testament age, hardly no miracles are being recorded. And so we could take the attitude, and, and this is the position that I take, is that God works miracles only at certain times and for certain specific purposes. And so I suggest to you today, if someone comes along to you and says, I'm a prophet of God, I'm a preacher of God, uh, instead of saying, okay, how can you show me that, uh, raise uh, dead or heal an eye or a, uh, an ulcer or a cancer or something, and I believe you, rather than that, say, okay, uh, mister, let's see what you believe in regard to the word of God. Not what you can do. Man, I'm, there's all kinds of charlatans that can fool uh, the best of us. Uh, we are all susceptible uh, to being fooled. Uh, but uh, you cannot fool the Word of God. If a man does not agree with the Word of God, uh, regardless of what kind of tricks and sleight of hands and psychological ploys he might be able to pull upon you, my friend, you better shun him. John says, try the spirits. And that's the inference is in accordance with the Word of God. You, uh, you might say, well, uh, uh, what about these people? Well, I've noticed as I've observed, and I'm like this, I, I want to be a full gospel. I, I want to I have everything in my ministry and life that there is there. Uh, this, this misnomer that a lot of people claim about being full gospel, uh, that's, that doesn't apply just to one class of people. That ought to apply to all of us. We all want everything that God has for us, but no more than what God has for us. And so as I have examined, <clears throat> the ministry of these various people to see uh, if I'm missing out on anything, I notice none of them ever raised the dead. <clears throat> Raising of the dead was one of the very definite miracles uh, of the Old and New Testament. And I notice they all have to take airplanes to their various meetings. None of them learned how Philip uh, zipped from Gaza back up to Samaria yet. They all have to, uh, to, in certain circumstances that the Bible very definitely dealt with in a miraculous way, they all still have to use a human and earthly means. And so we'll be getting into this just a little bit more, uh, but this is not really uh, my purpose this morning, uh, to knock uh, the people who might happen to disagree with me today. But uh, you just put it down. Uh, the biblical miracles were for a specific purpose to authenticate a ministry that was new, like when the disciples began to preach the Lord Jesus and, and when Jesus began to preach, there needed to be something to authenticate that God was in that kind of ministry. And the ministries today that claim to be miraculous they never raise the dead. They seem to have no specific purpose of authenticating anything. It is usually uh, to gain a crowd. It is usually to gain followers and so forth. You study the miracles of the Bible, and you will find that they happened for a limited time uh, to a limited number of persons and had a limited purpose, and that was to confirm a new revelation. Now, uh, I don't believe that God is not able to work miracles today. 
I think God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he wants to work a miracle today, he can. In fact, I think that most all of us have witnessed miracles. If we were to take the time this morning, uh, we could each one of us who are redeemed here today stand and tell about the greatest of all miracles that have ever happened on the face of the earth. I submit to you that the regeneration of a spiritually dead soul, the changing of a sin-loving heart and life uh, into a born-again child of God who desires righteousness and who will live for and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a greater miracle, my friends, than uh, the raising of Lazarus or uh, Jairus' daughter or any other thing that has ever been perpetrated on this earth. And so God is still a miracle-working God. But now let's look at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming back here to John chapter 14 and in verse 11, Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now Jesus said, Okay, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, fellas, what you believe about me, I want you to look at what I have done. And believe on me because of what I have done. Believe on me because of the works. So let's look at the works and the miracles of the Lord Jesus. The historian Philip Schaff said concerning Jesus, quote, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, or Napoleon. Without science and learning, he has shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Uh, without writing a single line, he has set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Unquote. Jesus, my friends, uh, is the one who came into this world and in a miraculous way declared to this world and proved to this world that he was what he claimed to be. Now, my friends, had it not been for the miraculous works of Jesus, we could have dismissed him as just another fanatic. Like, uh, see, I can't remember whether it was before the ministry of, yes, it was before the ministry of the Lord Jesus, there was a fellow by the name of Theodius who claimed to be the Messiah. And he got up on the temple and said, I'm going to show you I'm the Messiah. And he dove off. Well, he made a beautiful dive, but the landing killed him. He, he wasn't Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah. And so Jesus could have come into this world and, and claimed to be the Messiah and it wouldn't have amounted to anything more than Thutius and his dive off the temple. We can claim anything. It's kind of like the fellow in the insane asylum that I heard about. He was, everybody walked by, he'd say, I'm Napoleon, I'm Napoleon. And one fellow uh, came by one time, he says, I'm Napoleon. This guy says, who told you you were Napoleon? Hey, <laughs> let me get that one straight now. Who told you you were Napoleon? He says, God did. And the fellow in the next bed said, I didn't either. Now, my friends, uh, we can claim to be anything. I can claim to be the world's most glib tongue orator. But when I get my tongue all tangled up, you know better. Uh, but anyway, uh, we can claim to be anything. But let's notice the things that Jesus did and was that proved he was what he claimed. Turn, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 1. 
In Matthew chapter 1, and beginning with verse 18, we want to look today at the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and see that great miracle proving him to be what he claimed to be. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Let's stop just for a moment. Uh, the pathos of, of what we've read there, I'm sure, escapes most of us. Can you imagine? Here is Joseph, a good man. And here is a young lady that he was engaged to, not married uh, to. They had never been together, but they had uh, been pledged together. And all of a sudden, it is revealed that Mary is pregnant. Mary was the kind of a young lady that I'm sure this took Joseph by complete surprise. Now, he had two alternatives, at least. One was to bring her out and say, uh, here is a, a woman guilty of sin. She needs to be stoned to death. Now, he would have been quite within the uh, Judeish uh, law if he had done this. But the scripture says that being a good man like Joseph was, he decided to just put her away privately and leave her alone. And so while he was thinking on these things, verse 20 says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, when all this was done, that it might be fulfilled. Did you hear it? All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord of the prophets, saying, and he's quoting from Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin, the virgin, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. All right, Jesus in his very birth proved that he was different from everybody else. His birth was a fulfillment of all kinds of Old Testament prophecies. If we had the time or the purpose, we could look at them this morning and see that uh, he fulfilled that very first of all prophecies, uh, which said that God would put enmity between the woman, Eve, and between her seed and the seed of the devil. And on down the line we could go prophecy after prophecy that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, declaring him to be a different little baby than had ever been born into this world. Dear friends, this is something that was believed by the early New Testament uh, churches and Christians uh, beyond all shadow of doubt. Oh, I realize that today there are a lot of people who say the virgin birth is a biological impossibility and no one ever believed it. But as we look at history, we find uh, that history is replete uh, with references uh, to the Lord Jesus and his virgin birth, pro and con. Now, uh, those that uh, denied the virgin birth and tried to claim that Jesus was an illegitimate child and that Mary was a fallen woman, they make that claim to combat the claim that many others were making that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God. And so this record in history cannot be ignored today. Jesus was miraculous in his birth. 
And as far as saying this is a biological impossibility, it's kind of a hard thing to scoop up a bunch of mud and breathe into it breath, the breath of life also. So as we said last Sunday night, if we can accept Genesis 1-1, we ought not to have any problem with all the rest of the mirac miraculous things of the Bible. No miracle uh, is greater than the miracle of speaking a universe into existence and making mud to breathe and, and walk and talk and all the other things that man can do. So Jesus, in his miraculous birth, proved that he was different. And may I say just in passing, his birth was not the beginning of the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus being born in the stable at Bethlehem was merely the entrance of God into this world in a human form. He says, in the beginning was the Word, referring to the Lord Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And so Jesus did not begin uh, in the stable. But as we have to hurry on today, let's, let's notice uh, the miracle of his sinless life. Now, this was different. The world had never seen a sinless man. And yet, Paul, writing to the Hebrews, tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, these wonderful words. He says, For we have not an high priest, uh, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point tempted like as we are tempted, yet without sin. And going on to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, For even herewith, hereunto rather were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps who did no sin the steps that we are to follow my friends are of a man who did no sin neither was there guile found in his mouth I submit to you this morning uh, that was a miracle no other man has walked upon this earth like that Oh, true, the, the Bible does not record any sin uh, being accredited to Joseph and, and one other person. I can't remember who it was in the Bible, but you can put it down, my friends. Joseph was a sinner, just like everybody else. Even though he had great uh, uh, self-control there in the land of Egypt, yet Joseph was a sinner that needed to be redeemed, and Jesus was the only sinless man that ever came into this world. Paul speaks of him saying, For God hath made him to be sin for us. He who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. And so his sinless life. Oh, we could go down the line and hear the testimonies of it. Even Judas, as he came and threw down the spoils of his betrayal, said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. Pilate examined him and five times said, I find no fault in this man. The thief hanging on the cross uh, said to the other one, why don't you be quiet? We're here justly. But this man, this man on that central cross, he hath done nothing amiss. My friends, they examined Jesus like no other human being has ever been examined and could find no fault in him. Why, when he came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John had been baptizing sinners. And he says, no, Lord, said, I, I need to be baptized of you. John didn't want to baptize him because he knew there was no sin in the Lord Jesus. And so we think of the miracle of his sinless life, and truly that was a miracle. 
I guess one of the saddest commentaries on human beings is that in spite of the miracle of his sinless life, they crucified him and nailed him to the cross to die a sinner's death even though he had never sinned. Let's think of the miracle of his, of his vocabulary, of his uh, unsurpassed words. Jesus, even as a child, confounded the, the teachers and the wise men there in Jerusalem and stood in their midst and with his words absolutely confounded them. When they sent the temple police after him on one occasion, they came back to the authorities and said, Never a man speak like this man. Oh, my friends, Nicodemus came to him and said, uh, Rabbi, we know, it's been proven to us, that thou art a teacher come from God because no man can speak like you do. We know by your very words that you are a teacher come from God. And on we could go. We could, uh, the whole sermon, of course, could be just on the teaching and the words, the miraculous words and teachings of the Lord Jesus. But let's hurry on now to his supernatural works. Let's, let's notice the miracles that he worked. Nicodemus again said to Jesus, said, No man can do these miracles which thou doest, except God be with you. Now, Nicodemus was no, uh, not wanting someone to come like Jesus did. That's why he came by night. He slipped around to see Jesus. But he had to because he had seen the things that Jesus had been doing. And so he said, Master said, uh, in essence, I I'm here to see you and to talk to you because no man can do these miracles that you've been doing except God be with him. Now, before we look at some of these miracles as time permits today, I want to call your attention several things about the miracles of the Lord Jesus that set them apart from the so-called miracles of today. And we could also add the miracles of the apostles to this, but we're looking at just the miracles of Jesus right now. I want you to notice that his miracles were selective. He only did them on certain occasions and for certain reasons. He didn't do them, as we've already said, just to uh, entertain people. They came to Jesus on one occasion and said, uh, we would see a sign. In other words, show us a trick, Jesus. Do something. Entertain us. And man, he rebuked them and said, there'll be no sign given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonas. In other words, he said, I don't do my signs to just entertain people. So his, his miracles were selective. And then his... Uh, I mean, uh, his miracles were never just selective. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he did them for everybody for specific reasons. And they were never partial. This is the thing that I, I want to really nail down today. The miracles of the Bible were never partial miracles. It was a never a uh, sort of a progressive thing. Now, you look at the so-called miracles of today in the light of that statement, and you'll see the vast difference. And we won't tarry on this, but the miracles of the Lord Jesus were never partial. Then they, they were never temporary. There were no recurrence uh, of the miracles that, uh, of the ailments that Jesus uh, healed. When a, a man got his sight back after being blind from birth, he had that sight the rest of his life. It didn't last for just a little while until the emotional high wore off. And his miracles uh, were never a tr of a trivial nature. 
Jesus worked his miracles for specific reasons. Now these miracles were worked to reveal his power. We look at him as he ordered nature and nature obeyed. As we've already talked about the uh, water that he turned to wine, 180 gallons. You say, why did they need so much? Well, uh, back in those days when uh, uh, in the Oriental wedding, uh, the uh, bride's father, he had to throw a party for uh, a lot of people, usually the whole village, and it would last sometimes for seven days. That's why uh, the bride had to bring along a pretty good uh, dowry. Now, the groom, or rather the groom, had to uh, pay pretty highly for her because uh, her father had to put out a lot of money. And uh, the, the length of the wedding depended upon the value of the bride. If the groom came along and just paid a sick kitchen, uh, chicken for uh, the, the bride, why, there wasn't much of a party. It was thrown. And so uh, here they'd been having this party <coughs> for who knows how many days. And they ran out of wine. And Mary came to Jesus and said, they're out of wine. And in essence, Jesus said, well, let's not worry about it. And he just told the servants, fill up these water pots, 180 gallons, and... Uh, uh, as I've already said, Jesus didn't perform his miracles to entertain. He didn't get up on a uh, pedestal somewhere and, and uh, go through a, a big rigmarole and say, water turned to wine, abracadabra, and all of that. It just turned to wine. I don't know how he did it. I, I presume he just looked at it. That's all he needed to do. Just looked at it. And he just thought about it. But anyway, when they poured it out, it was wine. So uh, here's a notable miracle. And we could go on. Jesus spoke to disease, and the disease fled. That uh, man that was born blind, he saw uh, that poor man that had laid by uh, the pool of water. Uh, when Jesus came by and healed him, he walked. And the man who was let down through the roof, uh, uh, when Jesus healed him, he picked up his bed and walked. Jesus confronted death, and, and death yielded up its prey. He came to uh, Jairus' daughter and raised her. He, the widow's son, he stopped that funeral procession and uh, raised him out of the casket and gave him back to his mother. He said, roll away Lazarus' uh, stone from Lazarus' grave. And, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. Yeah. Jesus performed his miracles to authenticate to those who witnessed him and those of us who hear about him, that he was what he claimed to be. Now, there are many, many other things that we could talk about today. I'd like to talk about the miracle of his influence. No other person that lived 2,000 years ago will have people today yielding their lives and soul into his hands and trusting in him as Savior and being changed uh, from their wicked, sinful way into a life of righteousness and the new birth. No other person has that kind of influence. That's a miracle. I'd like to talk about, in closing, his power over death. Oh, my friends, he, he made lots of promises. He says, as I live, so ye shall live. Jesus said, I have victory over death. And I'll give you that same victory. Back in Hebrews chapter uh, four or chapter two, rather, and uh, in verse fourteen, the Scripture says, "For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, 
he also himself likewise took part in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus has removed the fear of death and the bondage that death has had upon us. Most people live their lives in fear of death. But for the child of God, Jesus has removed that fear. Because why, when he went to that cross of Calvary, there was no fear of death there. The only fear manifest there was the awful fear of sin. When he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It, that cry was brought, run from his lips because of the sin that was being heaped upon him and the father turning his back from that sin. It was not the fear of physical death. In fact, my friends, there upon that cross, he ordered his own death. The scriptures tells us, if you read it, uh, that he yielded up his spirit, literally dismissed his spirit. After everything that had been done that was prophesied, uh, Jesus said, it's finished. And he yielded up or dismissed his spirit. He was placed in the grave, and three days later, he came out of that grave. That grave's empty today. I've stood and looked into that uh, place where the body of the Lord Jesus lay. He's not there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In conclusion to today, let's ask ourselves a question. If God became a man, what would we expect? <laughs> well, if God became a man, we would expect that he would have a unique and miraculous entrance into this world. And Jesus did, didn't he? Born of a virgin. We would expect that if God became a man, that he would be sinless and lead a godly life. Jesus did. Miraculously, he never committed one sin, never spoke one sinful word, never submitted to one sin. If God came into this world, his words that he spoke would be the clearest, most authoritative, truest, and purest words uh, that the world had ever heard. And that's exactly uh, the character and quality of the message and words of the Lord Jesus. If God came into the world in human form, we would expect him to be able to work uh, miracles and have supernatural power. And Jesus did, didn't he? Walked on the water. When time to pay taxes, he said, fellas, go out and catch fish. And there was the tax money in his mouth. If God came into this world in human form, uh, we would uh, expect him to have great influence on the lives of people. And here, 2,000 years later, people are still yielding their lives to the Lord Jesus and being saved and converted. If God came into this world, we would expect him to have power over death. And Jesus rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And now lives forevermore on the right hand of the Father in heaven, making intercession for all those who come unto God by him. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, verse 11? He says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, if you can't accept that, believe me for the very work's sake. Can we bow our heads, please? <clears throat> While our heads are bowed today, We've tried to reveal from the Word of God the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. Do you believe that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh?
You have to believe that in order to be saved. If you just can't quite understand that, you understand, my friend, that the things recorded in this blessed book, they wouldn't still be there if Jesus hadn't have done them. You can rest assured the devil and all of his cohorts would have somehow or another disproved these claims made in the Word of God. But they're still there, and they haven't been disproved. I submit to you, you ought to believe on him because of his works, because of what he was. He was the Son of God manifest in the flesh, and he went to the cross of Calvary and died for our sins that we might be saved. <clears throat> if you're not saved today, Jesus died to save you. And you can be saved. His promise is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To as many re as receive him, the word of God says, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let's slip to our feet with our heads bowed, please. And if you're here today, Jesus is not your Savior. Dear Christian friend, if he's not the Lord and Master of your life, you need to come and make this kind of a Christ the Lord and Master of your life. By the Mohammedans, they lay their lives down readily and happily for Mohammed. The, uh, look at the cults and the false gods that they're worshiping serving. Look at the sacrifices that they make. Oh, look, and my Christian brother or sister, be ashamed for the lack of sacrifice in our lives, the lack of service, the lack of obedience. Oh, God, today, as we bow in your presence in the name of the Lord Jesus, if there is one here who has never been saved, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take this simple message today and use it to open the hearts and minds of those who are unsaved, that they might turn to the Lord Jesus, repenting of their sins and trusting in him as their Savior. And then, Lord, for those of us who are Christians, as we have looked at the miraculous Jesus, help us, Lord, to rededicate ourselves to him, or if we never have, help us to dedicate ourselves to him today, to live for him and to serve him. If there's some public move that your people need to make, such as baptism or church membership or rededication, whatever the case may be, Lord, help them to do it this morning. And above all, if there's an unsaved person, help them to step out today and come seeking the Lord Jesus as their Savior. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. We pray God continues to mold you in the image of Christ. Visit us at www.providencesanangelo.org. Blessings.